Today's episode of The Upsell is sponsored by Freshly. We all live busy lives, and unfortunately, there aren't enough hours in the day to get everything done. Freshly is the easiest and most convenient way to eat healthy, no matter what life throws your way. Freshly's team of chefs creates all-natural, gluten-free dinners and deliver them fresh to your door. So even if you get stuck at work late, you can still come home to a delicious dinner cooked by a chef. No more worrying about having to figure out what's for dinner, and especially, no mess to clean up after. The best part about Freshly is the number of comfort meals they currently have that are also super-duper healthy, like the buffalo chicken or the chicken parm, not deep fried. Customize your weekly meals from their constantly changing, rotating menu of more than 30 chef-crafted options. Check out this week's menu created by Freshly's Chefs and get 25% off your first order of six chef-cooked dinners, plus free shipping by going to freshly.com slash upsell. You'll feel so relieved to come home to a chef-cooked meal every night with Freshly. That is freshly.com slash upsell for $25 off your first order. Order today. See what life is like when you no longer have to think about dinner. Welcome to the Eater Upsell, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is Amanda Clute, the editor-in-chief of Eater. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Dan Janine. Amanda Clute, how are you? I'm doing really well. Are you doing really well because of what we're doing today? Because I am... Pretty much, yes. Flipping excited. Yeah, I think I'm just feeding off of your excitement mostly, but I'm, I'm pretty excited. I love to talk about food stories, and in the Eater offices, we talk a lot about food stories. It's pretty much what we do. That's our job, is to tell all the food stories. And um, I just want to brag that I know all of the food stories. I'm the best resource for food stories because I read every single headline across every single eater site and all the YouTube pages. And I follow all the Instagram accounts. So, like, I I know it. I got it. That's I'm ready. Your, that's I'm ready for brag? this. Yeah. That's all I got. That's all I got going Plus you in put my life. Your favorites. That's it. <laughs> yeah, so, like, this is the only thing I can brag about. <laughs> okay. Well, then you're in the perfect setting. Can't wait. Oh, you also put all of them together in your newsletter. Yeah, put them your, in the newsletter. But you put like 30 or 40 things mm-hmm. in there. Each week. And now we're going to talk about the biggest food stories on the podcast. The biggest food stories of the month. where We've got probably six or seven. And we're just going to get through them, give some takes, and uh, and get out. Yeah, quickly get through them, do some takes. And at, special thing at the end, which you can explain. Very close to my heart. Salt Bay finally opened his restaurant in New York City. Yep. Instagram celebrity Salt Bay. The Turkish handsome ab. Handsome, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hans, handsome, uh, super jacked, super strong. Super jacked. Originally of uh, internet fame from cutting a steak in a very uh, sensual way and then and, and covering it in, in salt <laughs> yeah. that he he bounces off his elbow. Anyway, it was a video that came out that was extremely popular. Uh, and he finally opened his New York restaurant. And I went with our critic, Robert Sietzma, Mm -hmm. and he gave his first take. Uh, We recorded it right outside after. So that is coming up at the end of the episode. Yeah, stay tuned. As always, a couple quick things. Please subscribe to the podcast on the platform of your choice and toss it some stars. And maybe shoot us an email at upsell at eater.com. And now let's get to the first story. All right, my first story is about Somebody Feed Phil. It's a new Netflix show that just came out. Uh, I think there's six episodes fully streaming. You can watch them all. It's a travel show from this guy named Phil Rosenthal. Rosenthal. He created Everybody Loves Raymond. Behemoth of a television program. Yeah, this indication alone must get that guy so much money. So wildly wealthy dude traveling the world. Um, Greg Morbido, our pop culture editor, wrote... uh, 
not a review so much as a little newsletter pointing out everything he hates about the show. Mm-hmm. Greg is not a fan of this show. I'm a huge fan of the show. Dan Janine, also not a fan of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I heard about him and his shows, I never was interested in watching it. Like, it sounded super dumb. What do you Just like, about like it now? rich guy goes around, does the Bourdain thing. What I like about it now after watching it is I think it's kind of like the Bourdain show light. Kids version of the Bourdain show? No, like a middle America mass audience version of an edgy travel show. You know, like Andrew Zimmern, Anthony Bourdain, they know what they're talking about. They go around the world. They're experts. They're snobs. Not snobs, but they they have refined palates. They really have encyclopedic knowledge of the cultures and the cuisines, and they go there as experts. This guy goes there as the everyman, just this, like, curious rich guy who's appealing to everyone. And so if you are cultured and snobbish at all, you're going to hate this guy and everything he does. But I could sit down and watch it with my parents who live in the suburbs of Massachusetts and are in their 60s. And I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah, I totally take that as a justification for the show. But no. you don't like, you don't, you think he's... It's like if some you went over to some guy's uncle's house and he's like, watch my videos of me going to Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, he's like this dad. Right, there's like nothing good about him. Like wearing shorts and a polo shirt yeah. everywhere. He's got the biggest frigging eyes. And yeah, he just like, he just his like... reaction to whatever he eats or whatever he sees is to turn somewhere in the proximity of the camera and open his eyes <laughs> yeah. like he's shocked. Wide-eyed. Like, I, we don't have this in America. I like, find it very endearing. But I'm able to cast aside my New York snobbish mm-hmm. judgmental mentality in a way that you and Greg are not able to do. But also, if the pitch is that the creator of Everybody's Loves Raymond is going to do some traveling, then I would hope that he was funny. Oh, uh, well, was Everybody Loves Raymond funny to you? Funnier than this. But maybe because Ray Romano is funnier? All right. Well, maybe it's the delivery? I would I don't watch think a Ray Romano travel show. That'd be fun. Yeah, way more fun. The, the, like every, I, don't know. I was saying I don't... to you every time. Every time he makes a joke, you, you you don't laugh or I don't laugh. I just remember, oh yeah, this is the Raymond guy. I don't think it's unfunny. I think it's just endearing. Like he's here's a this, sweet, here's a sweet, knowledgeless deer. Yeah, I'm going around to all these places and learning, clopping around. Moving on, ding ding ding. Number two. So in January, I feel like the Tide Pods meme has reached critical mass to the point where everyone knows about it. It's all over the internet. Do you know what it is? Kind of, but explain. So it's kind of complicated, actually, the Tide Pods meme. Basically, it comes from the idea that people think Tide Pods, the laundry detergent, the very easy-to-use laundry (laughs) detergent packet, uh, looks looks delicious. Looks delicious, and you want to eat it. According to the internet, as early as 2012, people were saying things like, boy, Tide Pods look delicious. Recently... There was a string of YouTube videos of people actually eating Tide Pods. Oh, that's how it crossed over into a bigger story this last month was the YouTube videos of people actually doing it. And then YouTube actually went and took down the videos (laughs) of people eating them. Because it was dangerous and other people would watch and then want to eat it themselves. Yeah, supposedly in the month of January alone there was like – 18 Tide Pod related hospital incidents, and there's <laughs> never been one before. Mm-hmm. Like, these are older people eating right, Tide Pods. Right. These are like teens and <laughs> adults. The version of the Tide Pod meme that is good 
is people who are in on the joke, like, oh, Tide Pods look delicious, and then they kind of work Tide Pods into their into their food in some way, but it's just a joke. Like, And then they put up these elaborate pictures of Tide Pods hiding in their food or, like, disguising Tide Pods as real food dishes. But what do you think about the trend where people make food that looks like Tide Pods? So I think that came after people – that after came after this. YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm into it. I I think it's kind of funny, <laughs> it. but I think that what's re- I think eating them is really stupid. I think like yes, of obviously course, of they're course. poisonous. But what about like the Dallas bakery that makes a cookie that looks like a typo? Yeah, that's fun. That's fun. That's fun. I mean, it's gonna that'll be gone by the time this episode releases. <laughs> I think anyone who who spends a lot of time doing something that is totally useless, like I think that is there is potential for humor there. So people who who plan out and execute elaborate. Present food presentations that are based on Tide Pods with absolutely no intention of eating them, mm-hmm. just for Instagram. It's funny. Yeah, it's funny. But eating them is stupid, uh, very stupid, and not funny. It's just dumb. I mean, there are a lot of, like, you can make the case that jackass is funny. People snorting wasabi or whatever is maybe funny. Mm-hmm. This is not funny. Yeah. Uh, so Tide Pod meme, I mean, it's it's on the way out, but we just thought it, we thought it was important. Okay, number three. East Village Bar bans guests from saying literally. This is how a sign posted on the door declares that if anyone says the word literally, they have five minutes to finish their drink and then must leave. Wow. Continent, this is Continental Bar in the East Village. Their claim to fame is five shots of anything for $10. Oh, and being racists. And they're horrible people. Yeah. And it is the grimiest, grossest, slimiest bar like I've ever, I've ever, I live pretty close to it. I I can't believe it's continental. Yeah. I didn't read the story, so I'm so happy to learn this. Well, just, tell me your take on the on the policy. You know, when you're in a cab and the guy's kind of right wing, and he tells you about how everything was better in the old days, uh-huh. like oh, like you know, you have no idea what it was like riding in a cab when people didn't have cell phones. We would have fucking conversations. Oh, that's not the person you want to talk to. <laughs> no, the worst. And like, yeah, well. So these the guys outside, at least that I've met, the bou- like the bouncers there, because again, are it just seemed to me like the guy who's always there. He wears this big kind of wooden hat that it's like one mm-hmm. of the hats that you see in the game Street Fighter. Okay, uh, always has it. And I've actually, coincidentally, he's a big guy. I've seen him in other restaurants, and he's still wearing this hat. Mm-hmm. Very silly hat. Okay, uh, very. He's got a brand though. <laughs> okay, he seems to me like that cab driver. Like he's like, oh, we're preserving human interaction here, at Continental, where we're doing five shots of anything for ten dollars i i hate it so much but i gotta say there is something kitschy and appealing about how terrible the bar is and this a hundred percent adds to it like this bar is a hundred percent back on my radar the personality of this bar so more, and i can imagine yeah. so many people like smugly retweeting the story yeah it's so yeah there were so many retweets already like Ugh. like uh, people saying i've literally never been here or so wait were people anti that you saw on Twitter were people into this? I don't or? think I don't think that people on Twitter had an accurate sense of how slimy this bar was. Of, of like right, how right. This is the worst, the, the last place. But I assume people on Twitter were congratulating them. Like, good for them for <laughs> yeah, restoring sure. grammar and the way we should be speaking. And oh, yeah, fuck those sure. dumb millennials who don't know how to speak and they yeah. use literally wrong. At old school NYC cabbie was like, <laughs> thank God they're here because language is falling apart. Great. Uh, so I will go back for you know because I am a cultural tourist. You go to Continental all the time. No, so I do. Of course, I absolutely do not go to Continental all the time. I walk by it probably once a day. The only time I've been out drinking 
with you. Oh, no. <laughs> Afterwards, you've got shots of Continental. Ah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. But it was in the same. It, we were being ironic. It's, I just assume that's what you do all the time. No, we were being ironic. In the, and, and, and now we will be even more ironic. Like, we will go and you say get, you literally. You do, do shots ironically. <laughs> no, like, Classic oh, wouldn't Dan. it be funny if we'd be the, totally the worst place? Uh, all right. Ding, all right. ding. Ding, ding. All right, segment number four. Barbara Lynch and her terrible investors. Yeah, what's going on here? Okay, so the Boston Globe had a story in the middle of January about how Barbara Lynch's high-end restaurant, Menton, is allegedly in trouble. She's a Boston restaurateur and chef, and the article quoted anonymous investors of hers basically trashing her, talking about how the restaurant's in trouble and how it was mismanaged by her, la, 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 la. Uh, I found this story remarkable because... It's very rare that investors will go talk to the press behind the back of the restaurant mm. and the owner and the chef. Have you seen it before? Like maybe in some really dramatic falling falling out scenarios, do you see the business owner and a chef mm. fighting in the press? Like oftentimes in the New York Post, there'll be some big name chef and some big name restaurant who are fighting. But it's weird for an investor to go and just give these quotes to say like, oh, this is being mismanaged. More importantly... I don't know what kind of high-end investors are putting money into very expensive restaurants and expecting a return quickly. You know, like this restaurant is eight years old, so maybe you want to start seeing a return. But a lot of these places, multi-million dollar restaurants, it's going to take 10 years for you to get any money back. Mm. And you don't invest in restaurants to become a bazillionaire anyway. Yeah, so uh, restaurant investors are notoriously kind of behind the scenes. A lot of them in New York especially like don't want anyone to know that they are involved at all. Especially the really big money ones. Yeah. Uh, so here's the quote. Drink is a powerhouse. That is another one of her restaurants. It prints money. Sportello mm. breaks even. Another one of her restaurants. An investor said of Lynch's other Congress Street restaurants. Mm-hmm. And Menton sucks money. Right. Oh, my God. Do I hate this. This annoys me so, <laughs> so unbelievably a lot. Uh, these guys, I mean, first of all. We'll probably do something with restaurant investors. Yeah, on this actually, show. if you are a restaurant investor and want to call in, we'd love to talk to you. I have another one lined up mm-hmm. that I want to bring on to talk about what it's actually like behind the scenes because most of this is from the reporting side of it. So, word to restaurant investors I'm all for it. Please give chefs money to make the restaurants that they want to make. Uh, please be really rich and not care about the money because the, the, uh, like, the scum of the earth are these restaurant investors who get involved with these chefs and initially they want the good tables or they want to be cool. They want to be a, a man about town. And so they're like, oh, I could get a table at Menton or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then three years later, it's not the hot restaurant anymore. And they get sick of it. And they're like, I want money by, my money back. It's terrible. Well, and they want to have a say in all of the business decisions. Yeah. Like, yeah, don't <laughs> invest in restaurants. <laughs> like, you're probably bankers. You. Buy more stocks. Buy yeah. more bonds. It's- it's Buy not, more Bitcoin. It's not how you are going to make money anyway. Like I was talking to an investor friend of mine, and she was saying she invests in restaurants to get the table, of course. You want to be able to get the reservation whenever, mm-hmm. and to change the neighborhood and have a, a positive effect on the neighborhood that you live in yeah. and hopefully invest in good people so good people get to have these restaurants. And she expects, like, oh, maybe if in 10 years I'm getting a return, that's great. And some of it's her restaurants a, have paid off, and some are yeah. – she's still waiting. but. It's not something that you're like, oh, this is going to double my money in five years. At the end of the day, you're 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 supporting the arts, 
And You're supporting the arts. It's I mean, a, what it's did, a cool way to support the arts. What did I That's tell you when you said you wanted to open a restaurant? Don't do it. Yeah. I said open a bar. <laughs> and then you were like, but if you do do it, I will invest in you. <laughs> <laughs> if you open a bar, yeah. I'll give you some money. So... The part of the article saying that Menton is not doing well, like that's really interesting. Okay, fine, it's not doing well, but just the backstabbing of the investors is what's really annoying to me. Yeah. Number five. Okay, on the news front, Ando, which was the delivery only business started by celebrity chef David Chang, mm-hmm. is done. It's over. He sold it to Uber Eats. Uh, it's funny because they had actually opened a brick and mortar in the in Union Square in New York. Yeah. Uh, Brick-and-mortar delivery-only restaurant. A brick-and-mortar delivery-only restaurant. This comes on the heels of Maple yeah. being sold, which was also a delivery-only restaurant. And David Chang also was an investor. He was an investor in that. Uh, so maybe that trend's done now? Hopefully? Hopefully? Why I hopefully? mean, I don't know. I just think it was – I think people would see that and Dave Chang doing it and think it was something smart a smart business decision that they could get into that like delivery only is the next wave. And I don't know if that was actually viable, especially outside of New York city where <laughs> the concentration is so high. Like maple had trouble even getting to Brooklyn. Yeah. So like, how are you going to scale this in a way that you can actually make money? Hmm. One, uh, I love that David Chang has things that fail because he <laughs> tries things and some things fail. Yep. Two, I'm also I'm super interested in like in in the business plan originally for why a delivery only restaurant or a it was a a commissary kitchen that yep. was going to deliver like why why is that uh wh- why would that work better than just having a restaurant I mean it makes it makes sense but I, I'm interested in in the original business plan yeah I mean because he's failed really fast yeah you don't have to deal with all the other shit right that goes into a restaurant <laughs> yeah, you don't need but servers, then you also don't what's the joy yeah I guess money. If you can make it. <laughs> it was just to have it all come from one central location. Seems like a challenge. Mm-hmm. And then so they slowly opened it. Uh, and the food wasn't ever that really great. Some of it was interesting. Yeah. But. Anyway, I'm all for it. Good. I love that, I love that he screws up. <laughs> because it, he's, he's human and he tries things. What was fun, I think, from a marketing perspective is that he announced it the same week that he was opening his first big L.A. restaurant. Yeah. Major Domo. Mm-hmm. Which is smart from a PR and marketing perspective because the sad news about this failure gets kind of shut out by all of this positive buzz and all these celebrities going to Major Domo. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about his first L.A. restaurant? I'm psyched. I'm going next week. You're going next week? Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? This- yeah, I'm going. <laughs> and uh, we should also mention that Nomad, which is another... Also going next week, yeah. What? Gotta check. Well, I'm gonna, if I'm going to be... Oh, major, I might as well. Yeah. Mama Fuku, which obviously had some outposts elsewhere, but Nomad, uh, part of the Made Nice group, which was 11 Madison Park, Made Nice, Nomad. And they have their truck out in L.A., actually. Yeah, they sent the truck as like a right. you know, preemptive thing. But two major New York-based. New York-based restaurant groups. Yeah, moving to L.A. Mm-hmm. Does that change your opinion of the New York versus L.A. debate? Why are Why is all our good shit going there? And we're not getting their good shit right now. Jelena's coming. Okay. So cool. we're getting we're getting Jelena. Why is our good shit going there? I don't know. LA's a really exciting food town right now. Great. Probably cheaper to operate there than here. Well, I just hope that they don't become exact clones of each other and there's like our really original restaurants are just the same over there. Well, I think the nomad is going to be all over the place eventually. So mm-hmm. and 
And you know, you could say the food is all over the place right now. <laughs> wow. Zing. <laughs> Whoa. Are you a comedian? <laughs> uh, and Momofuku has expanded in, you know, mm-hmm. fits and spurts over the years. So we'll see how they do there. I think LA will love Momofuku, especially. Yeah. I'm interested to see how they embrace the nomad. Number six, Paul Bocuse, the famous celebrity chef, some might say the original celebrity chef, Mm -hmm. died uh, this month at the age of 91. Tragic. Tragic? Yeah. Uh, He was old. He he was old. He did a good job. You see all these pictures of him looking really old and showing his tattoo. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely had a tattoo that people loved putting on Twitter and Instagram. There was an outpouring of... Morning for him across social media. He was, I don't think, I think he was one of the first chefs to really bring the chefs out of the kitchen and put them in center stage because when he was coming up, the famous people in restaurants were the maitre d's. Hmm. Like if you look at the old Le Cirque mm-hmm. and the restaurants that predated that, it was all about the, the man, it was always a man running the front of the house and they had all the power. And the chef was someone you didn't really know about in the back doing some, you know, fun food stuff. It's, I mean, he was, he was a French chef. Uh, he was accredited with the, one of the people credited with the invention of Nouvelle Cuisine, which mm-hmm. was yep. cuisine as we know it today. Yeah. Uh, Listen back to a podcast with Megan McCarran to learn yeah. all about that. Secret Origins of Japanese Fine Dining, mm-hmm. I think it was called. Uh, but either way, the the idea of food as we know it today, which is vegetable forward, lighter, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, kind of natural looking but beautiful presentations – is all all goes back to him before it was a slab of meat with a very thick mother sauce on it. Uh, <laughs> At least refined, yeah. you know, quote unquote refined cooking was. Yeah, a lot of the the, the sterling silver uh, display stuff that you'd see in like Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. He he came on and nixed all that stuff. Yeah, a lot of heavy sauces, um, monochromatic dishes, things like that. So, yeah, sad loss for the food world. Someone that people see as a lot of people see as the the father of modern cuisine. Number seven. On a lighter note. This was a story that did really well mm-hmm. on Eater and something I'm interested in. Bangkok's only Michelin starred street food vendor wants to give back Michelin star. So it's this woman yeah, it's who this, makes it's, crab. She makes these these amazing crab, crab omelets. omelets. You may have seen it on the show Somebody Feed Phil. Yeah. <laughs> did you watch that episode? No, no. <laughs> he goes and eats it. It's beautiful looking. She was a famous street food vendor in Bangkok who got a Michelin star in their first guide and has been so overwhelmed by the crowds that she said, oh, I just want to give it back already. So she... But uh, it's not like those chefs in France where they're actively like, I risked into this. Yeah, it's not she some She just said it in an offhand statement. comment. So... It seems. My original take on this is... Just, you know, hide the star. Bring it home. <laughs> hide the star. Cover it up. I know. If obviously you can't because it's a it's a it's in a book. It's in a book. Also, like who cares if they if people's expectations are too high and they come? I mean, the food is really good, it seems. Yeah. She, you should see the the picture of her. She she wears uh, a hat and goggles because there's so much oil spraying up from her yeah. from her walk. She she's she's concerned that her lines are getting too long and there's and there's people who come and just take pictures of the food yeah. and the people and not will be disappointed it. and yeah. that her you know her regulars aren't going to have the same access that they used to have to her. Almost like Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. If you want the Philosopher's Stone or you want the Michelin star, you might not get it. But those who don't want it or don't need it and are just 
cooking every day, putting goggles on their face to prevent oil from getting in their eyes so they can feed the people the crab omelet that they have fallen in love with and been making for 50 years. Those are the people that deserve the Michelin star. And they're the people that don't give a shit and just want to do the same thing. And then when the Michelin star comes and drops on their head and fucks everything up, then they're irritated about it. So I get it. But sadly, she can't give it back. It's in the guide forever. Michelin decides who, in their opinion, gets Michelin stars. I'm sure they'll take it into consideration. We'll be right back to our biggest food stories of the month. But first, a word from today's sponsor, RX Bar. RX Bar is a very, very simple protein bar. Its ingredients, frankly, do all the talking. It is simply three egg whites, two dates, six almonds, no BS. There's no BS included. Nothing else. No added sugar. It's gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, no artificial colors, no extra flavorings or preservatives. It's just exactly what they say, those four ingredients. RX Bars are great for a number of occasions. Amanda, they are great for breakfast on the go, snack at the office, to throw in your bag for the plane, to toss in your backpack for a bike ride or hike, and especially for a pre- or post-workout snack. Mm -hmm. Egg white protein stands out as a source of protein that is easy for your body to absorb. It is known for that in the protein community. Oh, you know a lot about the protein community. I know a fair amount. Egg white protein, very hot. So So special offer just for upsell listeners... 25% 25% off of your first order. Visit rxbar.com slash eater and enter the promo code eater at checkout. So, okay, we've got one last story, and that is the opening of Salt Bay's restaurant in oh, New York City. Oh, yes. Wow. You know my favorite thing I read about this? About Salt Bay's restaurant opening in New York City? Yeah. Is that he won't serve tap water? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, do you know this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was in Joshua David Stein's wonderful GQ article about it. It's also in it's Robert also Sietzma's. in Robert Sietzma's uh-huh. review and Robert Sietzma's first reaction to the restaurant. Be- so before we listen to Robert, can we get your like twenty five second take? Sure. So I love Salpe. I support him a lot. I think that he sees Americans as dumb sources of money and he just goes wherever the money is. So he had six restaurants before that very famous meme of him sprinkling salt. He was already a hyper successful restaurateur and quite well known in Turkey. Then this thing pops off. He gets tons of money coming in to open multiple restaurants in America and soon one in London. And he's just like, I don't care. I'm going to extract all the resources from this Dumb country. I think he's a great businessman. I think he works extremely hard. We saw him walking around table to table, including our table, doing his signature salt move uh, for our giant steak. And he did it at hundreds of other tables, which must be so exhausting for everyone to see you as this one thing and to keep having to repeat it. It's amazing to me that he didn't crack when people asked him for pictures, Uh, and he didn't. And, like, this is his work now. And I think he was at one point a very hardworking, talented, successful butcher. I don't think he does that as much anymore because he just has too many restaurants. And now he's a character. And now he's a character. But he's a character who's making zillions and has all these celebrity friends who are further supporting the Salt Bay meme and bringing it up into pop culture stardom. And friggin' good for him. The food sucks, though, and— it's almost like... And it's silly. The steak's not that bad. The I meat's good. I be extreme, but it's almost Black Mirror-ish. Like, you create... Yeah. You turn yourself into an internet sensation, and then you're locked in this cage of being that person mm-hmm. over and over again at 100 tables, sprinkling your salt on steak, yeah. all just because the money keeps you doing it. He's like, also... That's so depressing It's to very me. depressing. He's totally trapped in it. But I, I see your respect for it versus some reactions, which is just like, oh, what an idiot. Here's Robert's take. Coming up. Um, you know, we've just been in the Nuseret. Is that how it's pronounced? Nuseret. 
Well, that's one of the funny things is that they have a name that no one in America can pronounce because it's N-U-S-R-E-T. They should have just called it Salt Bay, right? Oh, they should have, yeah, because Salt Bay is easy to remember, even though Bay is spelled B-A-E. But yes, we were there and we saw Salt Bay himself. Actually, more of him than we wanted to see. He was like everywhere. He was like a trained monkey. He was like going to every single table and because you had to order from that box. He did come and he does his little move where he takes out his knife, he sharpens it, he cuts the steak a certain width, he then slaps the steak with the side of his knife while leering at you like some some 80-year-old in a porn shop. You know, and he's, he's got these dark glasses so he can barely make you out. And then he does this thing where he kind of twists his arm and drops the salt as if he is in a kind of a death throw from too much fentanyl. And, uh, and the salt kind of dribbles out of, the, out of his hand and kind of goes all over the place. It's like a spastic It move. gets stuck in his arm hair a little bit, too. It which, does. And presumably his... Which you wouldn't know unless you'd seen it in yeah. person. This is, this is a very nice class of salt mixed with human excretion of some sort. I mean, I'm not poop or anything, but it was, unless, uh, I hope he's, his bathroom habits are. Well, he's, he seems like a very clean guy. Well, does he? He's wearing a white t-shirt and the muscles are just straining against the t-shirt. So he, even though he's compact, he carries a certain menace. Uh, I was a, a kind of afraid, and you well, you approached him and got him to take your photograph. You've got a fucking selfie. With Salt Bay. Yeah, are you, you're putting that up on Instagram and everything. I don't know, somewhere, yeah. You better. So what did you think uh, going in to Nusret? Um, this was a, an assignment from my boss. Uh, if I had the $350 to spend, I could pick all sorts of steakhouses where the steak is better. We have dozens and dozens of steakhouses where you can you can blow sixty bucks on a steak and end right. up paying a hundred dollars. Well, this cost even more, you know. And they're flying in the face of tradition. You know, they're these were not really Turkish dishes that they no. offered us, but we had we had sushi and a horrible butter <laughs> lettuce salad. What was the sushi? The sushi was not well. To call it sushi is like a joke. I mean. They took some rice, they made little tiny lozenges out of it, they took a little skinny thin little piece of filet mignon, wrapped it around the rice, brushed, as you pointed out, the, the guy that, they do it on a cart. This is one of the many table-side preparations that they've kind of table like Table-side attractions. Yes, the circus, circus-like. <laughs> And this guy, the sushi chef, had like thick rubber gloves, like somebody that cuts whale meat for a living. And he just like covered his hands <laughs> in the gloves with oil. Yeah. It was, he lubed them up to keep, to keep the rice from sticking. Black I mean, gloves. Too. Yeah, black rubber gloves. And then he lubed them up. He, uh, he took out a giant blowtorch and turned it up way beyond what it needed to be. I mean, it was like flying across the room. I'm surprised you didn't set some dowager's hair on fire. That one, and, were there and, any dowagers in there? Uh, were there <laughs> dowagers? No, there wasn't. It was all kind of people that were in their 30s that yeah. had money um, and who were YouTube fans. You know, I mean, this place was driven by, yeah. by an internet meme. Which and, you had not seen before, right? Well, I purposefully 
did not see it. I didn't give a shit. I mean, I don't care if some Turk wants to throw salt all over the room. I mean, that's to me, it's like, I got better things to do. So that's what made it so great. Here I am experiencing something that millions and millions of people have watched and gone crazy over, and I don't even care. You know, I don't even, not only do I, do I not care, I don't even care slightly. So um, to me, it's like, it's beside the point when it comes to the food. I mean, is the food that good? And the, end, the short answer is no. If you go to Peter Luger, you see a kind of clubby kind of like, right. you know, yeah, it's kind of older men uh, who all look like they've been like exposed to the heat of the broiler <laughs> themselves for a while. And no, these people were all fresh faced and they were more interested in seeing him and being seen with him, Salt Bay, than, uh, than with, uh, than the steaks themselves. I mean, you know, we saw them, a couple of the things we mm. saw them prepare, like that beef carpaccio was just atrocious. It was just, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was, that was like a Guy Fieri move or something. It was, right. it was more than beef carpaccio. It was more like a beef burrito. And what's funny about that one is when the table next to us was considering it, the waiter said like, oh, that one has a show as well, as if yeah. like starring the menu items. Yeah, if there was anything worse than the steak, it was the service. The service was just unctuous and, and uh, upselling and, uh, and condescending. And, and the water? Like, I mean, it, well, that was amazing. You cannot get tap water there. You must spend $9 for a bottle of water. Oh, yeah, and our $22 baklava dessert. Oh, that was, that was so bizarre. And once again... I've never seen baklava where they have a table-side preparation where he, like, with a big flourish, cut the thing laterally and then uh, put melted bad ice cream really that tasted like that supermarket ice cream you get at the Target or whatever. You know, it's just, it was all melted. And it was, yeah. it was, it was also bizarre. Also, the weird choo-choo noises he was making as he cut the baklava. <laughs> Well, <laughs> they were all making weird noises. The whole, yeah. And there were so many employees. Just there were carts running back and forth, careening around the room and just... I should say also that some, some waiters uh, have adopted their own signature salt sprinkling and some just choose to do it with a little spoon. Well, and that one guy, he said that he did it with a spoon because he didn't think he should be touching with his hands. The salt. Whereas the other guy was doing the salt off the elbow thing, but he was wearing a shirt. Yeah. So in no. that that guy was our waiter was insufferable. <laughs> you know, as you pointed out, you know, we paid nine dollars for the water and he spilled half of it onto the onto the table and didn't offer to replace it. And he, he spent all the time boasting at what a great waiter he was. It was like what a what a fool. You went in uh, thinking that the, the memification of the steakhouse was gonna be a nightmare. And what are your thoughts coming out? It, it was a nightmare. I was not disappointed in the nightmarish quality. Uh, you know, the idea that you end up spending about twice what you would spend to go to Peter Luger mm -hmm. and get a dry-aged prime steak that... That is not is, cut tableside. It's not cut tableside, but they have their own little ritual there that we love, which is that they tilt the plate and kind of spoon the juices over it, which kind of sizzle a little bit. I mean, they, they have a little showmanship there, but nothing like, this place was calculated. This was a Barnum level, <laughs> except instead of having talented performers, you have bumblers who are kind of like, you know, the, the guy rolling up that carpaccio. I mean, that was disgusting. I mean, that, it was, it was yeah. oozing. It was weeping juices, and he tore a couple of holes in the carpaccio roll. Like, why would you even roll that up? Not to mention hitting the cracker with a knife uh, to try Parmesan to break it up. The Parmesan crisp and, that we hadn't seen oh, in that was ridiculous. 10 years. 
he had the uh, commercial Parmesan crisp that came out of the package. Yeah, <laughs> that he was hitting with. I felt bad for that guy though. He was uh, he was drilling away at the crisps and they were not cracking. He was him. clearly not going to make it. He was <laughs> he was not. Yeah, everything. I felt. Yeah, I felt sad from him, but I also kind of wanted to know him. He was kind of more. <laughs> he was more a real. pleasant character than what? than our waiter who was boasting. How he'd worked in Miami and was going to be jetting off to London. He was such a valuable player that he was... Another thing, why is the default medium? Like, nobody, anyone that loves steaks, rare, period. Maybe medium rare if you're kind of like, you know, afraid of germs or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you would be afraid of, but... So the idea that medium is the standard, is the fallback, is... I found strange, but we played along with it. Yeah. What if whatever hit... the chef suggests. Did you say whatever salt base? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to go. I want. I want him to have the optimum chance to so show what he can do. And he's he's first and foremost a performer. Uh, I would love to see him actually butchering things. I'm sure he's but good. Are you? <laughs> what like butchering a yak? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Eater Upsell and our biggest food stories this month. And, of course, Salt Bay. Big thanks to Robert Sietzma for taking me with him to that dinner and for recording after. And thank you so much to Amanda Clute for sitting and, and shooting the shit. That's, that's my job. And but thank we'll you, do it again in February. In February. But most importantly, thank you so much to you for listening to this episode and loving it and subscribing to it and rating it and spreading it far and wide we will see you if you didn't do that oh. then no now's your chance <laughs> now do it please please do it <laughs> um and that, that's all we have Theater Upsell is recorded in the Vox Media Studios in New York City the show is hosted by Amanda Clute our editor-in-chief and me Daniel Janine Special thanks to our studio team, Miles Yule, Paige Bethman, Carrie Clements, Pedro Alvira, and Alex Allreich for all their support. And special thanks to our executive producer, Maureen Gianone Fitzgerald. <laughs>